As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. They're the toughest tickets in town. The wait list has 147,000 names, and those at the very top have been waiting for decades. After 25 years, you lose track. We're talking about Packers season tickets. What happens when a name finally gets called or an opportunity to claim tickets is fumbled? Plus, the panel behind on the dishwasher, you could see like flames. And so I said, there's a fire. It's a step many home buyers miss that can go a long way toward keeping your family safe. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I'm joined this week by Contact 6's Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. Hi again, Brian. We are recording this episode on Thursday, February 9th, 2023. In one week, pitchers and catchers will officially report to the Milwaukee Brewers spring training camp. And this weekend, the Super Bowl is on the calendar. But again, no Green Bay Packers in the big game. So it might be easy this time of year to kind of let the Packers slip your mind a bit if all the Aaron Rodgers drama doesn't keep it top of mind. But slipping the mind is what happened to some diehard Packers fans that you're about to feature tonight, Jenna. They forgot to check on their place in line for Packers season tickets and they got burned. What happened here? So what happened is we heard from Larry and May Puzo. They live in Trever in Kenosha County. And they got on the wait list for Packers season tickets in 1990. Now, back then, they had just had their first child. They now have two grown children. They lived in Illinois, and they've since moved quite a while ago to Wisconsin. Now, to paint a picture for you, the team at that time was not very good that season. They went 6-10. and 10. They lost the last five in a row. They did not make the player, uh, playoffs. They drafted Leroy Butler that year. Um, Don Mikowski was the quarterback. The coach was Lindy Infante. So that gives you uh, an idea. We have this great picture in our story of their family in the 1990s, and it looks just like my family. You know, those posed photos in front of the backdrop and the big glasses. Oh, I just love it. But they started at number 9,967 on the list. So that shows you how quickly this list is moving. And every year, you get a postcard from the Packers updating you on your position on the wait list. It's sent in the fall, and the last postcard they got was in 2015, and it showed they were at number 406, so they were getting close. And I should say these people are big fans. They're shareholders. They had a huge collection of signed items and newspaper articles, even commemorative beer cans, and they admit over time, over 25 years, they just lost track of their place on that list. And Back at Thanksgiving, their nephew asked, hey, where are you on the list? And they thought, wow, that's a good question. We haven't gotten a postcard in a while. So they emailed the Packers and they learned that they were eligible for tickets back in 2016. And the Packers never heard back from them. And so the team moved on 
to the other names on the list, and they they lost their spot. And the Packers basically said, there's nothing we can do. It's been too long, and you lost your spot. I'm sorry you can get at the end of this 147,000-name list. So that was very disappointing. Which basically means you're never going to get tickets. Essentially, yes. You know, what what I was doing while you were talking is I, I was looking, trying to kind of do some quick math on this. My my daughter was born in 2002, and we immediately got her on the season ticket waiting list. And I believe at the time she was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 70,000 on that list. They, in 1990, just 12 years before that, got on at like number 9,900 and something you said? Yes. So in just those 12 years from 1990 to 2002, now this is the like the, the early Favre era, the Super Bowl all of that stuff, it went from 9,000 to 70,000. And they still, starting at 9,900, were only down to 406 in 2015, or, or maybe it was 2015 is when they got the, the call, or the, the letters they missed. I guess what I'm saying is, it takes a long time. It makes me think that even my daughter, she's she's never going to be alive when she gets to zero. So this was a pretty big opportunity for this family. It was a huge opportunity. Uh, I've learned from the Packers that typically only 100 to 200 names come off that list every year. Um, so realistically, the people on this list would be waiting hundreds of years to get their seats. About 75% of the people contacted when they're eligible decide they do want to become season ticket holders. So there are some that turn it down. And sometimes the Packers learn those reasons and sometimes they just don't hear back. But I I think it's not an understatement to say this is a legendary season ticket waiting list. Lambeau Field has been sold out on a season ticket basis since 1960. Uh, the wait list is for the tickets in the stadium bowl. And fun fact, Lambeau Field has 81,000 seats total, which is almost the population of Green Bay. When I worked in Green Bay around 2008, they were very proud to say that the population doubled on game days. They like to say that being a, a small city with this major franchise. But it is one of the largest stadiums in the NFL. You may remember they renovated in 2013 around then and added six to 7,000 more seats. So there was a bigger drop in the list at that point. But unless they... Unless they double the size of this stadium, uh, not all these people are going to get tickets. Talk about doubling of population. I wonder how many times the population goes up in a Schwabenon on game day. Exactly. Um, Technically, that, that's we're gotta be one of the one of the smallest places in the world to have a, a, a professional sports stadium like that. Uh, but but so 147,000 names. Obviously, it's 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 an enormous number. They were getting closer and pay. They they were sort of following these postcards. But for that many people on a list, how do the Packers? keep everybody sort of posted as to where they are and how do you if you're on the list know where you are so as we mentioned you know every fall they send out this postcard if you're on the list you're familiar with it you get your updated position your account number they might solicit an email address or ask people to keep their address current and the packers say if you don't get that post postcard or you notice you haven't gotten one in a couple of years you should contact the ticket office but they do have a process for notifying people when their name is finally up. So let's say the big year is finally here. You're up for tickets. So well, actually, it starts a few years before that when people get in within a few hundred places of being offered season tickets. They'll get a letter saying, you're getting closer. You're within a few years of being offered season tickets. They'll be told your default choice is the green package. If you'd like the gold package, make that selection on a form and send it back. So that's your first notification according 
to the Packers. Now, when the tickets are finally available, the Packers spokesperson tells me they're going to mail a get ready letter in January, letting fans know you're going to be offered tickets soon. So then in May, uh, a ticket holder account is created, tickets are assigned, and in June, the Packers mail out a user fee invoice. And you have to respond to that by their deadline. Otherwise, they're going to move on to the next person on the list, which is what happened to the Puzos. So w- when I was watching the story, I mean, here's I, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest about the thinking that's going through my head because you're watching this going, you got a postcard that said you're 406. And I go, we're, I, I'm thinking, wow, we're getting close. So that's me. We're, we should be watching. I would be watching every year how many people came off this year, how many people came off the next year. And it wasn't until this year that somebody said, or maybe this last Thanksgiving, that, that somebody said, hey, where are you on the list? And they checked and went, oh my gosh, we missed it. In fact, they didn't just miss it like a few months ago. They missed it several years ago. So how did they How did they go so long without checking after finding out they were 406? They told me that they had some big life events. They had a, a major surgery. Uh, there were There was a family member who passed away. And they said, you know, after... 25 years, it all starts to blend together. And they just quite plain forgot about it. Um, And that was part of the reason that there's really not a whole lot that can be done. Because in my conversation with the Packers, I learned that, you know, in rare cases, when the Packers hear from waitlisted members within a few months after invoices are mailed, and maybe they didn't hear back by the deadline, the Packers will review cases Um, On a case-by-case basis, they may reinstate a member on the wait list towards the top in a position to receive tickets, but a gap of years is not eligible for that kind of review. So in the Puzo's case, the Packers aren't commenting directly. They don't comment specifically on waitlisted members or ticket holders, but when it comes to a gap of several years, members are just not eligible for that kind of review. The Packers say you really have to realize this happened, you missed it within a matter of months to be reconsidered. So that's why they say it's so important to keep track of your postcards, where you are, make sure your address is up to date, and you have to also watch for these cards. When the Puzos reached out to you, was this a, hey, help us get our season tickets, or was this maybe uh, also or more of a warning to others, pay attention to where you are because you might not get the letter you're looking for or just, you know, don't do what we did kind of thing? Oh, they want their tickets. <laughs> they, they they have their original framed letter from 1990 saying you're on the wait list at number 9,000 something on the wall. So they, they were really hoping that maybe they could get put back on the list at the position they were in 2015, number 406. Um, but when we spoke with them, we said, you know, we've, we've talked to the Packers. This really isn't probably going to happen for you. It seems very unlikely. And they said, well, we'll still do the story. Maybe they'll see it and maybe they'll say, oh, they seem like they should get back on the list. They're still holding out a little bit of hope, even though we told them that there's really not hope of getting back on this list. But the Puzos also think that the Packers should send a certified letter when tickets become available. Somehow they say they didn't get these letters from the Packers. There should have been multiple letters sent. They say they didn't get them. The Packers, of course, don't comment on ticket members um, or ticket list members. But the Puzos say for some people, this is very important. So they would like the Packers to start sending certified letters so that they know that it was received. I'm guessing with 147,000 people on that waiting list, the Packers are not actively keeping track of who moves, who lives where, 
Um, it's really up to you to make sure that they have your most recent address. But if I understand the Puzos didn't move, right? You said that they, they were in the same place. It wasn't really an issue of them moving. Well, they have moved since 1990, but they haven't moved since 2015. So they've been in their current house for a while. Which is when so, they received their last postcard. Yeah. So they've been getting postcards at their current address. So they should have their accurate address because they've used it before. We really don't know what happened here, how these letters were, were missed or maybe they were lost. The Puzos think maybe something happened with the mail. But I will say, despite all this, they do remain devoted fans. Um, they still love their team. Um, they still have that picture hanging on the wall. Um, so they're just disappointed. But they would have they would have liked their tickets. And I think it really hurts to know they missed out on such a big opportunity. Speaking of getting burned, uh, you, you just recently did a story about appliance fires and uh, particularly something that you could or should maybe be looking out for when you buy a home. Tell, tell us about that, Jenna. Right. So this story started when my case manager, Annette, sent me her weekly email about our resolution. So every week she sends me a summary saying, these are the cases that viewers tell us we help them to resolve this week. And in there was a mention of a case about a family in Brookfield, a woman reported getting $2,000 back from Bosch and her insurance provider after a dishwasher fire. And she mentioned in her submission that firefighters told her they'd had two dishwasher fires involving the same brand dishwasher that week in her city. And we followed up with Brookfield Fire Department and they said, yes, that's true. That week in June, we had two fires, one mile apart, the same street, both involving Bosch dishwashers. So we saw this as an opportunity to really talk about appliance fires, not just dishwashers, but how do they start and how can we prevent them? Because everybody has them in their house and there are certain hazards that we should be on the uh, lookout for. So what did you find out about the sort of uh, things to look out for in terms of dishwasher fires? Well, this fire was a case of a recalled dishwasher. So the family, Karina and Cami, moved into their house around 2018, and it didn't occur to them to check whether their appliances had been recalled. That's That actually struck a chord with me because when I moved into my house, I didn't think to do that either. And I'm a consumer reporter, and I think a lot of people wouldn't think that. Maybe they think that the inspection would cover something like that, but they didn't realize that this dishwasher had been recalled. And one night they were sitting in their living room and they heard this loud popping sound. They went into the kitchen and they saw flames coming out of the control panel Yikes. in their dishwasher. They were able to put it out, um, but they thought it was also interesting that there was this second dishwasher fire in Brookfield, also Bosch. Uh, it was too far destroyed to know if it was also part of that recall, but often dishwasher fires are linked to recalls, appliances in general are linked to recalls, but often it is user neglect and error. Maybe you're not cleaning it properly um, or you're overloading the dishwasher and items are falling onto the heating mechanism. There's a lot of different ways that these fires can start. It's pretty remarkable, I mean, to to have a dishwasher fire that was connected to a recall, but then on the same street to have another dishwasher fire, same brand, not clear if it was part of that same recall. That's mm -hmm. a pretty remarkable coincidence, isn't it? It does seem like a coincidence. It's not like dishwashers are catching fire every day. So I would say it's pretty interesting that it happened within a span of one week, and that's why it stood out to the Brookfield Fire Department. I did reach out to a number of other area departments, you know, just asking in general about their, their data on appliance fires since 2021. North Shore Fire reported five appliance fires 
within that time frame, none of them were dishwashers. Sheboygan had uh, one wash, one washing machine that caught fire, two ovens that caught fire. Franklin had a dehumidifier. Menominee Falls had a stovetop fire that may have been caused by defect. Um, and the Menominee Falls Fire Department wrote to me, you know, mostly their cases are related to human error. You know, if you have fire safe kitchen practices, if you have routine cleaning, removal of lint buildup from your clothes dryer, your exhaust ducts, that can go a long way toward keeping your family safe. But it's also a good reminder. I think a lot of us are guilty of letting appliances run when we're not at home. It's really convenient to start up the dishwasher at night and then go to bed. I'm guilty of that. And if you are going to do that, you want to make sure that your smoke detectors are working. You should be checking them twice a year. Um, you want to have a, a fire extinguisher accessible and know how to use it. And one thing I've started doing since doing this story is I don't run that heat dry setting on my dishwasher at night because they specifically talk to me about items falling off the top rack um, onto the bottom rack. And I've got a lot of straws from my kids' water bottles. I don't want to start a fire at night. So uh, it's just a reminder of some of the things we could be doing, maybe best practices to keep ourselves a little safer. The dryer, I think of right away. And yeah, okay, lint buildup and, and, and all that sort of thing. Dryer fires, I guess. I thought a dishwasher, I wasn't expecting because maybe because you think of it being a it place for a lot of water, right? Yeah, so <laughs> mm -hmm. how could there be a fire? But there are so many appliances, I suppose, that could potentially have issues how do you check your appliances for recalls? Like what's, how do you go about that? Especially if you're moving into a home where you're not the one who bought these appliances, someone else did. So the easiest way is to go to cpsc.gov. That's the Consumer Product Safety Commission's website. They have all the recalls. You can also check with the manufacturer on their website. They tend to have recall information listed there. But also you could really simply do a Google search and often that will provide you with the information you need as well. So it's online. It's pretty easy to find. I think a lot of people don't register their appliances. You know, when we buy them, we don't fill out that postcard and send it in. If we do, we'll get notified if there's a recall, but otherwise it's kind of on the user to know if it's been recalled and to stay on top of it. Do you need to know model numbers? Like, do you need to pull mm -hmm. open and look for, look for something? There's probably usually a label on the appliance that will tell you all of that information, right? Exactly. Uh, there, It's in different places on different appliances, but if you go on the website, they have little pictures with arrows pointing to the numbers that you need to pull and how to enter them. So it is pretty user-friendly, um, and I would recommend people just check it out. It doesn't take a lot of time, and it's not hard to find. As sort of a, a consumer thinking about the story, what do you think is the overall takeaway from from this story? Well, first of all, I think it's Always good to be thinking about recalls, especially if you're moving into a new home. I think we're all excited about moving in, and that's just something that a lot of people aren't thinking about. When we contacted Bosch, that was their main takeaway as well. They said, we always recommend people um, check their appliances when they move into a new home. So I think that's the biggest consumer takeaway. And I also think it's a reminder to keep your stuff clean, um, to not overload your dishwasher, to try not to run it when you're not at home. And if you do run it when you're not at home. Make sure your smoke detectors are working. And it is time for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual, have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. And here to ask us that question is Open Records executive producer Sarah Smith. 
Hey, Sarah. Oh, hi. Um, okay, today, you know, I had a question all lined up, and then I was talking to our editor, Dave, and he asked what the question was going to be, so I shared it with him, and he goes, you know, today is National Pizza Day. Uh, oh. And that was not what my question was about, and I said, mm, okay, we're probably going to have to pivot. <laughs> so, some quick fire questions uh, about pizza, how okay. about? So, we'll start with um, the best crust style. Like, you mean like thin hand-tossed? Correct. The panel, I, I think for me, it's sort of an original, like I, I don't like super, super paper thin, but, and while I like deep dish, I mean, I could like any of them, but it's not my favorite. I, I'm more of a kind of right down the middle, I think on that. I was going to say, it depends on like whether it's a really good topping. Like if it's like a specialty pizza, I'll want it thin. If it's just like a pepperoni pizza, I'll want some hand tossed crust. Ooh, I do. Oh God, I love a good hand tossed. I am between like a hand tossed and a thin. I like the big foldable like New York style slices, though I just uh, you can fold them in your hands. I, that's that's yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Um, okay, wait. I just had another question that I did not add in my list. But are you a uh, if, if the pizza is cut, uh, maybe not in triangles. Let's say it's cut in like squares. Are you a grab the crust kind of person, or are you a middle square with no crust on it? Crust. I like the the crust pieces that are still like almost full squares. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the little triangle Those that's are my almost favorite. all crust. The corners, Those are... I will grab all oh, four no. every time. To me, there's <laughs> not enough topping on that. Anybody else can have that. It's too much crust. Great. I like the crust that's got enough stuff with it, too. Okay. But then sometimes that middle piece that's no crust and it's just lots of toppings, it's messy, but it's Gooey. kind of indulgent. Yeah, super cheesy. Yeah. Um, okay, so what? what is your, uh, uh, if you could build your best pizza, what is on it? See, I'm a pretty simple pizza guy. I like... I like cheeses and meats. I'll throw. I'll, I'm black olives are fine. If you want to start adding a few other things in, you know, I'll I'll eat mushrooms. I'll eat green peppers or whatever. If it's me ordering it myself, I'm not putting that on there. I like a mix of cheeses. Like there's some places that'll have a few different cheeses maybe on, that that are part of it. I I like that. So pepperoni sausage, little bacon, not all together because I don't. The, the, those loaded lot of meat. meat pizzas, that's too much. That's too much. Your sodium just went any through of, the roof. <laughs> right. Any of those are fine by themselves or maybe two, but yeah, not like the loaded meat pizzas. That's just too much. Yeah. If I had to choose like my favorite, I actually like the pizzas best without red sauce. So like oh, I have real nostalgia for the mac and cheese pizza from Ian's because I went to UW-Madison and Ian's was a very big thing there. So I always have loved the mac and cheese pizza. And then I like getting pizzas with like chicken and spinach and like maybe like more of an oil or an Alfredo. Those oh. are more exciting to me than a red sauce pizza. Although okay. I do. You know what? What? Uh, you said Alfredo. We used to go to a place in Des Moines, Iowa called Big Tomato Pizza that had pizza by the slice. You go after the bars and they had a they had a broccoli Alfredo mm. pizza that was phenomenal. That sounds, that sounds amazing. Delicious. Yeah, it does sound good. Um, I'm more, well, I guess traditionally I'm, I'm a, like a pepperoni mushroom black olive, but I also was recently turned on to, hang with me here, pepperoni, jalapeno, and pineapple, <laughs> which is, I know it's super controversial, but man, that sweet and the spicy, it just, mm, chef's kiss. I've never even tried it. I'm not judging people who want pineapple on their pizza. Like some people get angry about it. It's yeah. not my preference. Yeah, that's fine. 
I get have you that. tried it? Because I don't think I've ever even tried pepperoni. I have. I've had. I've had the Hawaiian, With like the the the, the, the ham and or Canadian bacon and, and pineapple. Ham is gross, but yeah, I, I just had never done pineapple. <laughs> so, so. so you don't like the ham? You do I, like the pineapple? Yeah, okay. yes. I don't. know. It's a sweet. I feel it's like a the pineapple is usually the more controversial part. I, I know. Well, it's the story of my life. Um. <laughs> okay. So final pizza question. Uh, best pizza in Milwaukee or the surrounding communities? I have a I have a, a very uh, sure answer for me. It's it's Balistrieri's. I love their pizza, and uh, would go there again and again. It's too much of a drive for me most times, so it ends up being more of an occasional treat, like a treat. But, yes, uh, boy, I love Balistrieri's. I have a soft spot for Ian's. I just it's a it's connected to me <laughs> from awesome. my college years, and I will always love it. So that would be what I get. Although I have a kid that always gets a salad there, which is an odd choice. She doesn't like Plot pizza. Twist. So okay. she gets a big old salad, and they have very good salads too. Ooh. Um, I will say Zafiro's tops yeah. my list. Every time their pizza's good, their salad's good. It's just like simple and wonderful. So took the uh, the family there to the movies. We yep. took them to the movies and got have where they got the Zafiro's and got a giant pizza for everybody. That was pretty good. I'll yeah. admit. Yeah. Well, good. Well, happy National Pizza Day. And that's a good way for us to wrap up this episode with me being really hungry now, even though it's, <laughs> we're recording this at 946 mm. in the morning. Yeah, pizza at 945. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss on Open Record or an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. Jenna, thanks again for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Sarah, for joining us for Off the Record. You're welcome. And as always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, including our editor, Dave Machuda, who didn't get to contribute his favorite pizza, but we'll talk off the air about that. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you do your podcast listening. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back again next week.